And this was aimed at improving relations between Christians and Muslims in Glasgow. This was the point of this. Now, the question is, how do we go with that as a motive and as a mission for this gathering? And then we allow them to pick out a passage, which is, like you say, this the, probably the worst passage you could. It's the biggest insult you could do to the largest body of religious people around the world of Christianity. How can you do this and use that? And you, you have to say... Which is why you came away and you said uh, an apology. You wrote a letter to the Times newspaper where you called on the church to apologize to Christians suffering dreadful persecution at the hands of Muslims and added that the uh, the uh, denigration of Jesus in Christian worship would be called blasphemy by some. Pretty strong words, uh, Reverend Ashenden, yeah? Well, to say that Jesus is not the Son of God in a Christian church is blasphemy. That's 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 its definition. It really doesn't get much simpler than that. Yeah, and to say it anywhere would be the same, I believe. But you're right. In that setting, in that moment, in that time, is uh, beyond disrespectful. I mean, there's obviously. So it leaves me with a big pause here to think. All right, the political class, the media class around the world, keep saying tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. They keep saying. You know, be PC. Watch your words. Watch what you say. They're not all the same. They're this or this. And I know everyone's being careful. It's like walking through a room of eggs. Almost impossible not to step on one and crack it. You know, I have to wonder, Reverend Ashenden, is do they really want to improve relations? I mean, do these Muslim worshipers and leaders, I mean, if they use that as a passage intellectually, does one think that they want to improve? I mean, I can't come away with that answer. Do you come away with that answer, that they truly, truly want to improve relations? I, I can't speak for them, but, but I, um, I think we should try and improve relations. We should make friends with Muslims. One of the reasons why is, be, is because a lot of Muslims have no idea what Christianity really teaches or who Jesus really is. And we can only have conversations with them by, by making friends with them. So we do have to do that. Well, but you know what? You know what I want to add to that? Mo- most of them, many of them, also don't even have their facts straight about what the Quran says and is. <laughs> that's, abs- that's very true as well. Talk. Just talk. Because that's what we do here, friends. Malcolm Out Loud Talk. Welcome to the show. Well, the Reverend Gavin Ashenden resigned his post as chaplain to the Queen after publicly criticizing a church that allowed a Quran reading during its service as part of an interfaith project. Well, during the service at St. Mary's Episcopal in Glasgow, this past month to mark the Feast of the Epiphany, there was a reading of a passage from the Quran which said that Jesus was not the Son of God. And I know as you hear the aghast from folks, well, all of this also got the dander up of the Reverend Gavin Ashenden, so much that he tendered his resignation as chaplain to the Queen. He said the reading was a fairly serious error, and one which he had a duty to speak out about. 
So I want to start here before I give introductions to folks. Um, Father Ashington, I want to ask you, when you heard these words initially at this interfaith service, what was the first thing that went through your mind? The thing that shocked me was not only that they had read the Quran denying Jesus in this service, but that when the man in charge of the cathedral, the provost, was contacted by Christians all over the world, he called the police and said he'd been a victim of hate crimes. And it was this that the newspapers decided to report. So I wrote into the newspapers saying that they had reported the wrong piece of news. And uh, the fact that I'm quite well known in England meant that Instead of it just being a letter from me in the London Times, the newspaper wrote a whole article about the fact that I was criticizing him. And that's when it got kind of public and, uh, and big. So initially you weren't thinking it was going to be that public? I think it looked like a fairly small I event that, um, w that, that, that in one sense didn't have very much to do. After all, it's, a diff it's another country. Um, it was the fact it was misreported. Uh, and and the, the, the dean, having done this really very serious uh, made this really serious mistake, suddenly, suddenly turned himself into a victim of his own stupidity, and the, the, the newspapers chose to report that. Instead of concentrating on the fact that, um, that in a very serious place, a cathedral, in a very serious service at Epiphany, the divinity of Jesus had been denied by reading the Quran. That, that was the important uh, news item, but it got lost uh, under the umbrella of this man's sense of victimization. We'll go figure and just imagine that our listeners and our friends from around the world are listening to this and thinking, you mean they misreport things in the mainstream media in the UK as well <laughs> as, as the states here? <laughs> exactly. And they certainly do. Well, it just seems to be a universal problem we're all having with the media, specifically the mainstream media these days. Well, let me tell folks now that uh, Father Gavin Ashenden resides in the UK and partly in Normandy as well. He was, until 2016, a part-time parish priest looking after a small parish on the island of Jersey. And when I say that to folks in the States, they're thinking, in, on and off New Jersey? up in the, no, no, no. This is the island of Jersey, part of the Channel Islands, just off the coast of Normandy, France. Uh, this is where he combined being a parish priest with his writings. And on this island, he helped run a weekly Bible study in the prison, which I find fascinating, and has a, uh, had a weekly column in the island's only newspaper, the Jersey Evening Post. He continues to do that today. Uh, he actually does it once a fortnight. And I want to tell you, folks, a fortnight is every other week, every 14 days. It's a British term. Uh, we might say bi-monthly here or something like that, but fortnight, uh, I had to look that up actually prior to talking to said, what is fortnight? It's a British term. I love it. So it's a fortnight, right? Is that right? Yes, he's exactly right. Yeah. So he grew up in Kent and was educated at the King's School in Canterbury after training originally at Bristol University as a lawyer. He attended Oak Hill Theological College uh, to study theology and prepare for the priesthood in London. He was ordained in 1980, just yesteryear, if you will, huh? Uh, he has close links with the bishops of the Christian Episcopal Church in the USA and Canada. Also, very interesting site. We'll tell you more about it later, his own website. I enjoyed looking at it. A very early, early, early hours this morning, ashenden.org. A lot of great stuff up there in clips and things. I really enjoyed uh, looking at that. I hadn't seen it before today. But now, I, I wanted to give you a little more history of Reverend Gavin Ashenden because I think there's a lot to talk about. Now, listen, I can't read you his whole bio. I'd be here for hours, so we're not going to do that. But 
in, in full disclosure, I want to tell everybody today that I met Reverend Gavin Ashenden in Rome last year at a pilgrimage that I attended for True Life in God. And that's actually when I met him. And I think we hit it off very, very well. I enjoyed He was actually, I met some really cool people there, as you tend to do at these events. He was one of those folks that I came away thinking, okay, this, this was really a good event. And I knew our paths would cross many times again and probably will continue to do so. But again, I want to give full disclosure to folks that I'd met him there at the pilgrimage. We had a chance to talk and catch up. And so now when I seen this, so when this news broke, I immediately started getting in some emails and correspondence from folks around the world that said, did you, because they knew I had a rapport with him, and they said, did you see that he resigned? Did you see that he's, and I had all these comments, and stories, they sent me the links to the stories and stuff, and and as I read them all, uh, again, the, the truth of the matter is I chuckled inside, because I got to know him in Rome a bit, and it didn't surprise me in the least uh, that this had happened, so now, uh, so back to this, Reverend Eshenden, I want to ask you, you told BBC Radio that, and I quote, the problem with what happened in Glasgow was that although it was presented as a way of building bridges and a way of educating people, it was done badly in the wrong way, in the wrong place, in the wrong context. You go on to say it should not have happened in the in the Holy Eucharist, and particularly a Eucharist whose main intention is to celebrate Christ, the Word made flesh, come into the world. To have a reading from the Quran at that point was a fairly serious era for the Christian worshiping community. But to choose the reading they they chose doubled the era. In other words, they could have read a lot of things, friends, but they chose that particular passage. And you said of all passages, you might have read likely to cause offense. This was one of the most problematic. So, so I want to ask you, in you studying this and understanding what had happened now, why did they choose that passage, do you think? Malcolm, it's a very good question. We don't know whether they were just careless or whether they were a bit stupid. Um, I think one of the things that they, they fail to understand is that um, if you if you believe the Gospels, then you accept that Jesus is the living word come to save us from our sins. But if you accept the Quran, then you have to say the Gospels have made a mistake. And we who believe the Gospels look at the Quran and say, Muhammad got it wrong. Now, the problem with these two points of view is that um, they can't both be right. There's a difficulty with having a, a church service, which is uh, meant to bring love and honor and worship to, to the risen Lord, our Savior, and then to read out a message from a different religion, one we believe that's got it wrong, saying, actually, everything you've heard so far about Jesus isn't true. It, it's profoundly offensive. I, I can only think that they did it because they just got excited about the idea of having a mixed congregation of Muslims and Christians in a cathedral, and thinking this is somehow cool or prophetic uh, or, or, um, or somehow admirable, uh, misunderstanding what, what worship is for. One of the things one has to say is, if it was a matter of bridge, bridge, building bridges, we have to ask, was there a mosque in Glasgow where they took the Gospels and read out passages that say Jesus is Lord and the living Son of God? Uh, in their Muslim prayers? And the answer is, of course they didn't. So this was not a bridge-building exercise. It was 
It was really a piece of, of bad misjudgment. Listen, I don't know that it was careless and I don't know that it was stupid. I, In my opinion, it's my opinion. I think it's, from everything I know and I see and understand about these things, I think it was very probably intentional. You don't go into something like this without uh, reading a statement like this without knowing fully what you're doing. I mean, you pick a passage out like this very, very intentionally. Now, I want to tell folks for the record, Father, again, I, I always call it the out loud truth here. So I just want to ask you. The words that they read, let, let me make sure everybody understands. This is an actual passage from the Quran. Is that correct? Yes, it is. It's, it's Surah 19, verse 35. All right. All right. So there you go. 19, verse 35. So this is an actual uh, information from the Quran. Now, so many of you out there may not know that because a lot of people haven't read the Quran. A lot of people think they know, but they don't really know. Now, I want to ask you next, in your opinion, is the Quran the guiding principle that directs all Muslims? Yes, they, they, they believe it is that every single word in Arabic is inspired, was delivered directly by the Archangel Gabriel to Muhammad. Uh, the fact that it didn't get written down until more than 200 years after Muhammad's death doesn't seem to bother anybody. Um, but the very first uh, Quran uh, appeared hundreds of years after Muhammad's life was over. So the claims for the direct inspiration of the Quran are really quite far-fetched, but all Muslims believe it without uh, any prevarication. Now, let me ask you this. In the Bible anywhere, uh, and I, I mean, you know this better than I and better than most, do, do we, do, does, does the Bible trash the Quran? Well, it doesn't because the Bible came before the Quran. So effectively, what we, we, we had a thousand years of, of Jewish prophets. The Jewish prophets were unique. They don't appear, nothing like this appears in, in Buddhism or Hinduism or pantheism or animism, any of the other ways of doing religion through the world. Uh, they are all made up by men. This is not an insult. Anthropologists agree all the other religions were creations of men. This thing that happened in Israel a thousand years before Christ, these prophets who stood up and said, we've come to speak to you on behalf of the living God, nothing like that has ever happened before. And then they culminate with Jesus, and you have to make up your own mind about whether Jesus was who he said he was. Um, what happened later was that, that, that uh, 500 years later, when Muhammad was born, he was a religious guy. He had some, some deep spiritual longings, and he was an Arab. And he looked at the Jews, and as so often, he found himself jealous. He was jealous that the Jews had all these prophets because he considered himself to be a prophet. And so when an angel came to him, uh, he took him to be Gabriel. We might wonder if it was Gabriel. When an angel came to him, he felt that finally the Arabs had got a prophet. But the stuff he was told had nothing to do with what the prophets had been saying to the Jews for a thousand years. And he seems to have known nothing about Jesus. So that was an odd kind of angel to, to talk to him. But one of the things that he was absolutely certain about was there was one God. And he picked up some odd stories about Christianity. Uh, and he decided that from the odd stories he picked up, it couldn't be real. So in the Quran, he said, the claims of Christ are not real. God cannot have a son. If the Christians tell you that, they're just plain wrong. So he set himself against the whole of the Jewish and the Christian traditions. And you have to really choose between one uh, or the other. You know, I, I'm, I moved a moment here to say to you, I mean, that was some great information. And many of us just learned several things we, we possibly did not know, which is what I always enjoy talking to you about, because I always come away learning something. But 
in the fact that you just laid out the historical um, and, and, and really the timeline of all of this, um, in the fact that they suggest that Jesus wasn't real, and for those who out there who say that and this argument, what is the one, I, I just, I don't want to pass this moment, but then to ask you this from my heart, what is the one pivotal point in your studies as, as, as a really a, a theologian and everything that you know, what is the one pivotal point that you would argue back and say, no, that is incorrect. Jesus is the son of God and that is correct because. Let's say there are three things. The, the evidence of the resurrection. It's very hard to explain uh, how the, the, the power of the impact this had on the early Christian community. If it was a mistake or a con trick or some kind of attempt to pull the wool over people's eyes, it would be hard to understand why people like St. Paul uh, were willing to die for it. It would be hard to understand why the Christian message exploded with power and miracles. Uh, so the first thing is the resurrection. The second thing is, the, is, is what strikes you when you read the Gospels. A lot of people say, as I read this stuff, it has a direct impact on my heart. It's not like any other kind of literature. Wesley talked about his heart being warmed. Um, a, a translator uh, in England called J.B. Phillips said, this stuff has the ring of truth. So it's partly the power of the resurrection history. It's partly uh, the power of the words as you read them. But in the end, of course, and for me, it's also, thirdly, what happens when you put them into practice. When I became a Christian, I, I, I was converted provisionally. I said to Jesus, you may be the son of God. You may, be, you may have come to save me from my sins, but what if you're not? So you can have me for periods of 48 hours. I'll live as a Christian for 48 hours, then we'll review it. And if there's anything wrong with this, if it stinks, if you let me down, if something goes wrong, I'm off to go and be a Buddhist. And I found <laughs> there hasn't been a single day when the reality of Christ has got, got less powerful. So three things, the resurrection, the way, the way the Gospels read, and what happens when you put it into effect. Now, what the Bible tells us is that we live in the middle of a struggle between good and evil. And the letters of St. John particularly warn us that people will come with different religious experiences, different messages. And St. John says, watch out. If someone comes along saying Jesus is not the Son of God, they're in touch with the wrong side. Just pay attention. So that's the difficulty we have with the Quran. There's a great deal of goodness in the Quran. There are some very beautiful Muslims. Uh, and we have to admire the way that Muslims uh, have discipline in the way that they say their prayers. But there's a great deal, too, that looks as though it comes from the dark side. And in particular, it's the violence. So, uh, again, one looks at the fruit of these two documents. My One of the things I've been saying in, in the public space is, uh, let's just take these three religions of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, and ask ourselves a question about violence, because violence is what is causing us so much difficulty in the world. If a Jew is violent and turns to murder and disaster, you can say to the Jew, you're not a real Jew unless you accept the Old Testament prophets, which said you restrict your violence to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Anything more than that, and you are so out of line, you're not a Jew anymore. So you don't get Jewish violence because you, you or rather, you, you might get Zionist or political violence, but, but for a Jew, uh, if he's obedient, 
and he has to be. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You come to a Christian. If a Christian is violent, you say to him, uh, you have to turn the other cheek. If you don't turn the other cheek, you're not living as a Christian. The problem we have with Islam is that in the Quran, Muslims are told to be violent. Uh, violence is part of the way in which they please their God. Uh, they please their God by being violent in a number of circumstances. And so for those of us brought up on the prophetic tradition of, of the Jewish prophets and the Christian gospels, we look at this and we say, you know, this seems this, this whole religious experience that Muhammad had looks to be a dangerous mixture. And actually, some of your listeners may not know that Muhammad had his doubts himself. Uh, there are some verses called the Satanic verses, but they're called that by Muslims in the, in the Quran. And Muhammad was very worried indeed that he was, uh, he was in touch with the wrong side. The angels who were bringing this to him came from the wrong place. It was something that occurred to him. Uh, when Salman Rushdie, a novelist, wrote a novel on the satanic verses, uh, a fatwa was put on him to, to have him executed. So already within Islam, there is a question about discernment, spiritual diagnosis. Uh, one of the things I'd, I'd like people to be able to do as they talk about the different merits of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam uh, is to consider the possibility that actually the very the violence in Islam, the scale of it, and the horror of it may be an indication that this is something that did not come direct from heaven. And you bring up many, many points that I think people need to ponder and, and really uh, concern themselves. And especially, I want to say to you, is the political class and the media class should hear your words and what you just uh, spout out there uh, they should hear this interview. We'll be sure to send it to uh, the new administration and others. But the, but the political class and the media class are, I don't know if they're misinformed or just entirely ignorant or whether they're on another mission in another playing field and whether they come from the dark side. But I wonder often uh, what is the root cause of all that, having studied this now and understanding what's going on. You leave me with so many questions when you, when you say the things you say, which I know to be true. And uh, people, you scratch your head and you wonder why, how, um, you know, how do we move forward with this? And then this whole thing that we started this conversation with today. But And, and let's just stop here a moment, because the whole uh, uh, point of this Glasgow service thing here was improving relations between Christians and Muslims. OK, now, I, ironically, the cathedral in Kelvin Bridge had invited local Muslim worshipers now to contribute to the service. This is how it came down. And this was aimed at improving relations between Christians and Muslims in Glasgow. This was the point of this. Now, the question is, how do we go with that as a motive and as a mission for this gathering? And then we allow them to pick out a passage, which is, like you say, this is the, probably the worst passage you could, it's the biggest insult you could do to the largest body of Christi of religious people around the world, of Christianity. How can you do this and use that? And you, you have to say, which is why you came away and you said uh, an apology. You wrote a letter to the Times newspaper where you called on the church to apologize to Christians suffering dreadful persecution at the hands of Muslims and added that the, uh, the uh, denigration of Jesus in Christian worship would be called blasphemy by some. Pretty strong words, uh, Reverend Ashenden, yeah? Well, to say that Jesus is not the Son of God in a Christian church is blasphemy. That's, that's, that's its definition. It really doesn't get much simpler than that. 
Yeah. And to say it anywhere would be the same, I believe. But you're right. And that setting in that moment in that time is uh, beyond disrespectful. I mean, there's obviously. So it leaves me with a big pause here to think, all right, the political class, the media class around the world keep saying tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. They keep saying, you know, be PC, watch your words, Watch what you say. They're not all the same. They're this or this. And I know everyone's being careful. It's like walking through a room of eggs. Almost impossible not to step on one and crack it, you know. And that's really what we've got here now in the public space here. That's what's been created, really, I I don't know, I'm going to say over the last 20 years, certainly since September 11th. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. Uh, So... Having said all of that now and seeing that, and then we talk about this 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 uh, this gathering to improve relations. I have to wonder, Reverend Ashenden, is do they really want to improve relations? I mean, do these Muslim worshipers and leaders? I mean, if they use that as a passage, intellectually, does one think that they want to improve? I mean, I can't come away with that answer. Do you come away with that answer that they truly, truly want to improve relations? I I can't speak for them, but but I um, I think we should try and improve relations. We should make friends with Muslims. One of the reasons why is be, is because a lot of Muslims have no idea what Christianity really teaches or who Jesus really is, and we can only have conversations with them by by making friends with them. So we do have to do that. Well, but you know what? You know what I want to add to that. Mo- most of them, many of them, also don't even have their facts straight about what the Quran says and is. <laughs> that's absolutely, that's very true as well. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've been born into a culture rather, rather than a religion because unlike Christianity, Islam is both a, a political movement as well as a religious movement as, and a cultural movement too. So you're quite right in saying that. Well, they're that. drinking the Kool-Aid, Reverend Ashenden, but they don't even know what made up the Kool-Aid. I mean, they have no idea. Some of them don't. You're right. Yeah. And that's why I find this ignorance and then this tolerance or being intolerant and then there's the PC environment. But here's the thing. I get a little worried. I get, I get a little nervous when I read into this more because, you know, again, there are passive people, passive Christians, passive political people, passive human beings who just more or less are on a train ride going through this life and not really paying attention. And I worry. I worry that we're going to get caught short here, that if good people are, are uh, you know, if they're asleep too long, or they're not paying attention what what is in the Kool-Aid on both sides. So somehow, you know, somebody said to me recently that there needs to be another another vehicle for good Muslims, and it can't be the Quran. And somebody somebody said that to me, I don't know, somewhere in the last couple of months, that, you know, there has to be uh, something else, another vehicle, because it can't be the Quran. But how do you do that? I mean, do you know what I'm asking? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, how do we bridge this gap? There's a lot of great talent in the world, and that's why we have that right up top of America Out Loud. Let the silent voices be heard. And we're actually doing that back at America Out Loud Talk Radio. You'll find a whole great lineup of shows there. Check us out, AmericaOutloud.com. We podcast all the shows there. You'll, You'll find this show right there and many others. Or you'll find us also streaming now. We are on our own talk radio network. You'll find us on places like TuneIn, 
AHA Radio, Radio God FM, iTunes Radio, and a whole lot more. Well, listen, I want to talk to you about being organized in your life. I know it's important for all of us. I want to introduce you to Closets by Design. You know, this is just a great company. It's a national firm. They're on the West Coast, but you'll find them, a lot of their retail centers throughout the United States. Whether it's a closet, garage, home office, laundry, pantries, just about everything these folks have. Check them out closetsbydesign.com Again, stay tuned. we got a great show here today. One of the astonishing things that's happening is that Muslims all over the world are having dreams about Jesus. Some, something is going on. You hear uh, constantly that uh, Muslims coming to Christians asking about Jesus because they've been disturbed in the night about him. Uh, I think God is doing his own work to try and wake up uh, his own, his children. I had an amazing interview with a, uh, a Muslim woman who turned, to, who turned to Christianity, and she was in fear for her life and her child. She was pregnant at the time, and she, also was gonna, she actually was planning to come on our television program. She was unable to do so because of her fear for her life, and she had relatives back home and all of that, even though she was here in the States and making this major transition in her life. And so we had her on uh, about, oh, I don't know, about eight months after the original conversation, which she was presented to me from a, um, a pastor, a, a, a reverend in the church had said to me, we really need you to interview this woman, Malcolm. And so, but she couldn't do it on the television. She was really in fear of her life. So about eight months later, she contacted me and asked me if she could come on our radio program and talk about this and, and do her uh, testimony, which we did. I'm going to put a link at America Out Loud in this post, even though some folks are hearing this in their cars and on radio. You can also go back to America Out Loud and hear this interview with Reverend Gavin Ashenden. And you can also see that link to that uh, Muslim woman who turned Christianity, which I had a talk with. And I'm going to send you the link as well, uh, Reverend, so you can hear that uh, talk. It was quite fascinating, actually. And all the things that she had to say about it, which kind of bring, you know, it's kind of some of the stuff what we're talking about, right? I sure. Mean, some of them are coming to light now and realizing that there has to be another way. Something has to happen here. So, so anyways, nobody apologized then, obviously. There was no apology coming forth here, right? That, that's right. What, what has happened instead was that uh, I, I've been speaking out about public issues for some time now, and every six months or so, I, I would get a, a phone call from uh, the palace um, saying, you're being a bit too outspoken. Uh, it doesn't really sit very well with being a chaplain to the queen if you speak out loud in the public space on the path of the faith. And I would say, look, the Queen is a defender of the faith. I'm defending the faith. Really, what's your problem? But actually, these the, the, these uh, phone calls have been continuing for some time. And uh, and I had a fairly serious conversation with a with a, a very sensible gentleman who who reminded me that the the monarchy only works in this country because it stays above politics and above cultural problems. And that some people would think that I had the uh, I, I was speaking on behalf of the Queen personally and directly, and they said, really, either you have to, you either have to be, keep quiet and not speak out in the public and enjoy being this honorary position as part of the royal ecclesiastical household, or, or maybe you should think of letting it go if you want to speak out. Um, and I decided that that they might be right. That maybe the honourable thing to do would be uh, to step outside that whole area, to give up uh, a public honour, uh, so that I could 
speak out more freely on behalf of my lord, because ultimately I serve the king before I serve the queen. And so I decided that was the most honorable thing to do. And by this means, I could then contribute to a public debate. I'm, I'm, I'm a little well known in England amongst some people without causing any embarrassment uh, politically for the royal family or for the queen. So I took that action. Well, you know, uh, and again, it didn't surprise me in that way. And I love the way you prefaced that about the king versus the queen. And I, I totally get that. Um, and, you know, I, I, you helped enlighten me just a moment ago because at first I was offensive to the monarchy and what you had said prior to you saying that, thinking, well, you know, shouldn't they stand for something in all of this? But but I do I do understand and I do accept what you just said, um, that um, the only way of their survival and, uh, you know, in, in all of these, uh, you know, millenniums is the fact that uh, they have been able to rise above all of this chatter. And let's face it, there's been chatter going on for thousands of years, right? It didn't just happen, I yeah? And so how does that stand the test of time? Well, it has to be because they have to sort of uh, put a blind eye on it, I guess. I, I don't know how else to say it, I guess. So so how that had to be a difficult choice for you, decision, because I know you took a lot of pride in this. I remember in Heaven Met You and it was on your card. It was, it was you were very proudful and prideful, rightfully so. You have that position of many, many things you did there. So it had to be a big decision, wasn't it? It was, Malcolm. But, you know, um, Christians say that we, we live in the spirit. We try and live in the spirit. There was a wonderful uh, Russian saint called St. Seraphim of Sarov, and he said perhaps the most important goal as a Christian is to acquire the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit makes himself known. And during this conversation, I was thinking, shall I argue with this man? Uh, shall I ask him to define his terms? Is, shall I put the phone down and say, let me sleep on these things and we'll talk tomorrow? I had a very clear sense in my head. I just heard the words honor and integrity. And without any strain, without any stress, I said to him, look, I just think the best thing as a matter of honor and integrity is if I give you my resignation. Uh, and he, he used a lovely phrase. He said, I won't stand in your way. <laughs> and I thought that was... You know, simply, yeah, we, we preface that in the States here, and we say, don't let the door hit you in the backside. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, I think that's right. So I, I felt, I actually felt that I was being guided by the Lord to do it. And, you know, I'm not, I don't think I was wrong. One of the things that has happened is that I've been given a platform for speaking out. Now, if I hadn't done this and I'd stayed a chaplain to this queen, uh, I'd have got an, uh, one annual invitation to preach in St. James's Palace to about 100 people. So I'd, I'd had eight sermons left in me and a few garden parties. Uh, having taken this, I've had interviews on uh, Australian television, on American television, uh, probably a, a dozen radio shows, of which yours is the most illustrious. Um, but I've spoken to people across the world, and I've had I've had over a thousand emails from people writing in saying, we are so grateful that you did what you did. Well, you had so much publicity. I was afraid that when I reached out to you, you might say, Malcolm who? <laughs> Quite the opposite. I, I'm, I've just been waiting for you to contact me, Malcolm. It's been great. Well, you were, um, you were so on, I, I seen you on the television. You were on the, I think you were on the Fox News here somewhere, weren't you? Yeah, I was on Fox News. Yes, I had five minutes on Fox News, which was incredible. It so is. It, was, it was God's intention. It was the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and I'm very glad to have the opportunity to speak out. You know, for 
It's just at a critical time. There are so many things I just so enjoy about you and just just love you so much. Uh, and when you and I just that's why I chuckled at this whole thing when I seen it. And I just have to tell folks because it, you recorded here saying I'm fairly clear in my own mind that my duty to my conscience, to my order, and to my understanding of Christianity and my vocation is that I am supposed to be speaking out in the public space on behalf of the Christ I serve, and that. For that alone, I would think that they're going to meet you at the, the, the pearly gates. When those gates open, they'll have flowers there for you and music and the whole bit. How's that? Well, uh, Malcolm, I'm, I'm afraid not because I'm also a, a rather serious sinner. What? When I was young, Malcolm, I, I remember one of the verses in the Bible that struck me when I was about 16 and trying to work out if I wanted to be a Christian or not. Yeah. There's, a, there's a verse that says, from those to whom much is given, much is expected. Um, it, it just is the case that the Lord has given me a lot. He's given me a brain. He's given me health. He's helped me survive a whole load of things. Uh, he has given me so much, and I have to give it back. This is, uh, uh, this is not a moment for hiding. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest, make it a daily stop, and also get the app. You can go right to the App Store and download our free app, and that will put all our content right into your hands on your phones and your tablets. It doesn't get any easier than that. So Christians have taken it for granted in in Europe and in America that our culture is Christian, but actually it's changing very rapidly and there are three ideas fighting for public space. There's there's political correctness or what we might call cultural Marxism, there's, there's Islam and there's Christianity. And the difference between these three ideas is that Christians are happy to get along with everybody. They're happy for other people to find their way. But both political correctness or cultural Islam, uh, cultural Marxism and Islam want to close the Christian voices down. And so we have to be brave at this particular point in our cultural history if Christianity is going to keep its place in our society, not just for ourselves, but also for our children. So uh, it call it's going to call for courage from all of us. Well said. You, you know, I have to tell you, what do you think about a Nobel Peace Prize? You think we should nominate you for that? <laughs> Somebody did nominate me for it, but but of course it was a it was a, a rather sweet joke designed to catch headlines. Uh, however, people get Nobel Peace Prizes. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't happen like that. And no, that would that would never happen. But um, I was very touched by the person who suggested it. Well, I, I think you you say it was a joke. I don't know that it was a joke. I read the article, by the way. I didn't bring that up casually or unintentional. <laughs> I knew what was said. Um, I like this group. How, how familiar are you with? The- the Gatestone Institute. I hadn't heard of it until they started writing about me, and then uh, then I looked into them, and I thought they were an impressive bunch of people. I know. I hadn't either. I don't know why they've been so quiet all this time, but they're an international policy council, and I love when I looked at more of what they're about, uh, because it goes on to say that they're sort of a think tank, right? Indeed they are. And, and they sort of try to keep the mainstream media honest, and you know that's got to be a lifelong ad- admission, huh? 
I, I agree. No, they look wholly admirable. One of the, again, one of the great things that's come out of these last two weeks is uh, is discovering some people who are fellow travellers and who uh, share us our, 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 the same values as we do. So God has really made a great deal out of this occasion, and I'm very grateful. I know, I know. No, no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt. But I, I do like this Gatestone Institute. I have to find out more about them. But I do support, and I and I'm going to send this to Gatestone as well. This entire production when it goes live on the radio and and with have it in America out loud, but I, I want to send it to them and tell them that here's some more fodder for them for why you should be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize and tell them that I will also assist in that endeavor. How's that? I, I'd, I'd love to have dear, to be one of my dear friends to be a, a Nobel Peace Prize winner. That'd be cool. Okay, thank you. The only excuse for being in the public space is, to, is really to, to, to tell people about Jesus. That's, that's what we, we, we have to do. It. Sometimes with subtlety and sometimes without subtlety. You continue to be humble. Listen, I love that about you. You continue to be humble, and I'll be your PR agent giving people the out loud truth. How's that? You're very generous. (laughs) Well, listen, I can carry your bags and be your PR agent at least. I can do that much. I mean, come on. I can open doors. I can help you in, you know, and and then you you just have you're so eloquent. You can handle the rest of it. Malcolm, thank you. I, well, we, we we both do what we can for the for the same cause, and it's great. You know, I want to I want to um, I don't want to forget to talk to you about this here. I had seen something in your write up that you have to talk to me about real quickly. I love this piece of history about you, and I think our listeners would find some real joy in this. Do I understand that you are to be held accountable that you were also a smuggler? <laughs> yes, in, in the, early, the early 1980s, I smuggled Bibles into the Soviet Union and, uh, and, and, and medicine, too, for, for Christians who were having the most incredibly bad time. And uh, I, I got caught a couple of times and had, had a run-in with the KGB. I mean, in fact, in fact the, the, the KGB majors who interrogated me had to be about the same age as Vladimir Putin. And I'm just wondering, <laughs> was he one of them? Uh, but I, I think it's extremely unlikely. But it's just a fanciful idea that's crossed my mind. Yeah, I love this. Smuggling Bibles and medicine. And you were doing that, like you said, into the uh, former Soviet Union. Uh, you were, uh, I guess you were vice chair at Keston College at the time, huh? Keston College was a was an institute that tried to tell the truth about the persecution of Christians in the Soviet Union. We had a lot of newspapers who, surprise, surprise, weren't interested in the truth. And the only way we could get it printed was if we could prove it. So we had to send people in uh, to, to take pictures of churches being bulldozed, to bring back the names of people who'd been sent to a Siberian prison camp for for holding their faith. And only by bringing the facts could we do that. But in, because you weren't allowed Bibles in the Soviet Union, and, and Christians were desperate to get hold of them, one of the things we tried to do sometimes was to, to smuggle them in. The other thing was that if you were a Christian, you forfeited access to medical health care in the Soviet Union. There wasn't very much of it, but you couldn't get any of it. So again, we knew people who were sick, and one of the things we wanted to do was to help them out. Uh, and that, that took place in, in the early 1980s. If you told me then, that that whole evil empire only had another nine years to run before it completely collapsed, 
I just would have been amazed, but that's what happened. I know. You know, it was a history and moment of time that I'm so pleased that I was here on Earth to see it at the time because I was so into that period of time politically when Mikhail Kobachev and when Margaret Thatcher, uh, one of my idols and uh, mentors, idols, uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, Pope John uh, Paul, remember, you know, and this illustrious group of people, they changed the world. And I, I just to be here at that time and I can just hear the words in my ears, you know, tear down this wall and I can hear all the things that happened that that changed our society, changed the world. Uh, and you're right. But, you know, I, I want to talk to you in our last uh, moments here with you. There's a lot of conversation going on today, uh, Reverend Ashington, about Russia, clearly. And you and I had conversation about this actually in Rome yeah. Uh, last year a little bit. And I find it quite fascinating, the Christianity factor in Russia. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to it that people don't really know or understand. Uh, Vladimir Putin and his position in all of this as, as, as a leader and with the Russian people, things that have happened. We have new political uh, leadership here in America. We have new political leadership in the UK with Theresa May. And, you know, so far, she seems very fascinating to me, by the way. I see definitely glimpses of uh, that Margaret Thatcher, which I just enjoyed her so much back in the day. I, I um, she, she was just a spirit. She was a, she was a um, just really a, a very unique soul, Margaret Thatcher was, and all that she contributed to society. But talk to me about Russia today, Reverend Ashenden. What, what's your vision? What do you see? Help folks out there understand a little bit more, please, in your words about uh, Vladimir Putin, first of all, and about Russia and what happens next. One of the things that has taken place over the last 30 or 40 years is, um, and actually longer, going back to visions of Mary at, at Fatima, is the promise that Russia would become a new cradle of Christianity. That seemed to be completely impossible for those of us who lived through the years of the Soviet Union. But, but it, in fact, it's been happening. And so quite clearly, some kind of miracle is taking place, bringing Christianity to rebirth in Russia. And Putin is OK with it. I don't know how much he's OK with it. <clears throat> I don't know how much he puts his own weight behind it, but quite a lot. He's seen um, at, at, at Christian services. He crosses himself. He talks about his responsibility to Christian ethics and Christian culture. In contrast, he says, to the United States of America and Europe. So some astonishing thing has happened, and history appears to be bearing out uh, what these prophecies foretold. Uh, I think, therefore, that although, of course, like any other country, there'll be some, some bad things, bad people, bad movements and ideas, uh, it would be very sensible for Christians to just stay alert and offer their prayers and their support to whatever good is coming out of Russia, because quite a lot of good seems to be taking place. You know, I, I have the same feeling, Reverend. I have the same exact feeling, but I'm not hearing that in the media and I'm not hearing it with others. They're tainting it the other way. Now, I see this interesting relationship with the possibility of developing. And and maybe it's because I'm historically looking at, you know, what's happened in history. But I see Theresa May, Prime Minister Theresa May, uh, President Donald Trump, and of course, uh, Vladimir Putin. Could they be, could they entirely be the new people to change the world? You know, is that possible even, huh? Well, we certainly needed something to stop the, the left progressive drift into ethical chaos, which is where it was taking us. Uh, and it may be an answer to prayer, uh, who knows, but suddenly we have three leaders who are no longer willing to continue that, to go in the direction of political correctness 
or cultural Marxism. So I think we have to we have to treat them with a degree of respect and seriousness, and and pray for them. Donald Trump is quite clearly finding his feet. Uh, he's going to be different as a president as president from what he was as a businessman. Uh, and I think simple respect uh, requires that we give him time to make that adjustment. Theresa May, as you said, is a a very honourable woman. She there are she does remind one of Margaret Thatcher to some extent. Margaret Thatcher changed during her period as prime minister, but Theresa May appears to be a highly intelligent woman with good political skills uh, and sound political judgment, and and willing again to stand up for things that are right. Uh, so I think. Uh, with with what we know of Putin, with what we're going to give space for Trump to become, mm-hmm. and what we found already of Theresa May, there is some some hope for those of us who did not want to buy in to the whole progressive mess of cultural Marxism. Well said, well said. You know, Theresa May is an excellent speaker. You know that. I do. I agree. Yeah. I mean, she she's really good. I mean, it, it takes a lot to be that good. You know, what I like about a strong woman like that and authority, as I enjoyed with Margaret Thatcher, is that she can keep some of these bullies in place, you know? Yeah. And that's what I enjoy about her. But she is a very eloquent speaker. Uh, She comes across very, very convincingly. And I think Trump can learn a few things from her in the public space, if you will. And by the way, just this past week, um, Donald Trump, the president, uh, had a speaking to the National Prayer Breakfast, which is a a very uh, symbolic uh, gesture every year that happens to the Christian community. Very, very well received. And um, he also made his uh, future uh, plans uh, public then when he said, I hope to be speaking to you for the next uh, seven years after today. <laughs> so Great. he's already reaching for the uh, longer term, but he is an interesting man. You know, it's fascinating, Reverend Ashenden, is that I have often thought, you know, I, I was critical on both sides of Trump uh, from a uh, from a political commentator on the radio and on the national news here. I was critical uh, from from a, a political junkie standpoint, you know, early on, as I am with every candidate. You understand? You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't just drink the Kool-Aid and then believe it. I want to understand what's in there and what's happened and what made the man up. And I was critical to many different degrees when it needed to be, although I thought he was a fascinating man for the times. But he made me think an awful lot. And I had questioned myself and I've wondered it many times if if this man who is a strange sort of man and isn't exactly the first thought that comes to your mind when you think of Christianity. But I see him embracing the Christianity community like no other. I see him doing things here uh, in the States and around the world now, which I think are going to have some real influence, especially with the other leaders you just mentioned as well. And I wonder if by chance uh, that I, I have a feeling that he is purposefully here as a leader of the West at this time. Now, I don't believe it's quite accidental. And I also do believe that he may very well have been sent here from God above that uh, for different reasons, because he's a very unexpected player. It's almost like the Trojan horse a- analogy. He's, it's very unexpected that he w- you would find this man here at this time, yet there's something behind it all. D- does that make any sense, what I'm explaining? It, it does. And I think that commentators should relax about deciding <laughs> how Christian he is. Uh, that's, that's for God to judge. But anyway, in, in, in the Bible, we find a very interesting figure called, um, who was a, a king of Persia called Cyrus. And Cyrus the Persian was not a Jew. He was not a particular man of God, but he was used by God with, with great power 
to set the, the children of Israel free. And what we learn from that is that, that there are people who are anointed by God to be used by him. And it's not necessarily for us to uh, stick our noses into every nook and cranny and make judgments about them. Only God can see the secrets of the heart. But whether he's a Christian or not a Christian or going to become a Christian, I have no difficulty at all in believing that in the plans of God, particularly as we cooperate by praying, he'll be used by God for God's purposes. Yeah. See, I, it's again one of the things I so enjoy about your speak is that, like, like yourself, uh, my, myself included, that I don't think it's our position to judge either uh, anybody. I, I think, and I always say that to folks. I mean, I, I, I tell them that. Listen, it's not really my role to judge anybody on any level. I leave that to God to judge, not myself. I am just like I said, I'm, I'm carrying the bags here and doing some of the heavy lifting down here that I'm capable of doing. But that's about it. Well, I want to tell uh, folks, I'm going to put a lot of links on America Out Loud to this so you can see some of the background stories and pieces on Reverend Gavin Ashenden. And also, I so enjoy your blog. Do you do you keep your blog up yourself? Do you do this yourself? Yes, I, I, I do. Um, I, I, I write on it um, frequently, and I'm and increasingly having stopped being a parish priest, uh, my, my friends in my church said, would you, would you put sermons on there? Would you video yourself preaching? And I, I didn't really want to do this. I thought this was, uh, <laughs> it was a terrible thing to do. But they persuaded me. So I, I, I also preach on my blog <laughs> through, through YouTube. Uh, so it carries both, uh, both, both arguments, articles, and, and also um, follows the, the, the pattern of Sunday worship. Yeah, you're always, always incredibly humble. Please stop trying to be so humble, will you please, you know? Uh, and I, again, I'm going to be your PR guy, so I'll carry your bags, as I said, but I'm the out loud truth guy, so I got it. Again, we'll do this all as gentlemen and ladies, but we just want the truth to get out. We want the truth to prevail, that's all. Well, listen, I'm enjoying, uh, and I want to give folks the address right now, ashenden.org. I'll spell it for you. And again, all the links, my friends, are on America Out Loud. Get them out right there. A A-S-H-E-N-D-E-N dot org, Ashenden dot org. There's a lot of cool stuff on here. And I love the simplicity of it. It's not it's not a busy place, but there's a lot of great information. He's got it laid out so nicely. I suspect you'll see the America Out Loud interview up there as well as this goes live. And um, I'll, I'll hold him accountable for that. And but he's got all kinds of cool things here. And it's worth spending some time. I'm going to spend some time on the weekend looking at this more. And and seeing some of it, you know, you're such a gift to me personally and to so many others. And there's a reason we met. And I knew it back then. I didn't know what would happen with it all. But I knew that God had some plans here and he'd figure it out. And again, now I'm saying he wants me to carry your bags and be your PR guy and open the doors. I'll be happy to do that. So as the loud guy. But in the meantime, I want to tell folks that um, from this conversation today, that I read here, you say, uh, uh, you know, uh, I love this final, the final words and thoughts to you. You say, I am fairly clear in my own mind that my duty to my conscience, to my order, to my understanding of Christianity and my vocation is that I am supposed to be speaking out in the public space on behalf of the Christ I serve. And I like that. One of my goals at America Out Loud is to more and more and more bring in our faith. 
And one of the things I want to do in our next expansion of shows in April is to bring on a couple of faith-based shows and productions that we can really do a great job. I take such great pride, and uh, I'm so pleased with our progress here and the things we've accomplished all around the world here. Uh, yeah, I was just telling, in fact, uh, Reverend Ashington, before we came on and the mic went live, that we were so confident in all of this that we've secured also Europe out loud and Canada out loud and other places uh, for us to do our magic so in any event i there was another one other piece here in your bio i seen and i knew you did a little bit of radio work because we talked about it and you said there was a period you were hired by the bbc to present a weekly faith and ethics radio program for four years a while back and presenting the um, international faith and ethics podcast and radio which i find very interesting you're so good at it because you're such a great speaker far better than i in how you deliver your message and so I've got you. So, you know what my plans are, folks. I'm going to tell listeners right now that my goal ahead and, and hopefully God will help me do this. But we've got to convince uh, Reverend Ashenden that he she, he should do a show with America. Wouldn't that be cool? And so anyways, I, I, I've spilled the beans here, but <laughs> I couldn't help to do that. But there is something we should talk about ahead because your work in the public space is so well regarded and so well needed. And it is purely a blessing for me and a privilege to talk to you today, as it always is, brother. I consider you a friend, an ally, and just a beautiful voice out there that can only do good in the world. And I thank you for all of that. Malcolm, thank you. I'm very grateful for our friendship, and I, I hope very much we can develop something together if there's an opportunity. There will indeed be. Again, everything happens for a reason. And again, so thank you again, uh, Father Gavin Ashington. And uh, I think we've had a great conversation. We appreciate it very much. Uh, and we'll continue on with all of this just ahead.